Hello to all my Facebook friends and welcome to another class from the book of Colossians. I'm Bill Allen, minister at West Irwin Church of Christ, and I appreciate you joining in. Whether you're joining in live at 3 p.m. on Thursday afternoon, Central Time, or if you're watching a little bit later, either on my Facebook page or the West Irwin Church Facebook page or our westerwin.com website, where you can find a lot of lessons on video archive, including these lessons from Colossians, uh, earlier lessons from last year in the book of Matthew and the book of Acts, and also uh, the book of Psalms. We covered that in the fall, and so hopefully you're able to take part in those as much as you like. Um, and also, of course, uh, our uh, West Irwin sermons and worship services are all there um, as well. It's nice to see some familiar names coming up as you're watching live. I appreciate that. Uh, Larry and Lynn Murphy, love you, my friends, and my cousin Gail, great to see you. I'm sure you and Keith are having a, a good week, and I hope and pray that all is blessed with all of you. Uh, Myron and Elizabeth Granberry joining me, Eric and Cindy Mosley, all wonderful, wonderful names and friends that bring smiles to my face. Uh, and it was great to see Myron for a few minutes this morning as he came by the office uh, for just a minute or two to pick up communion supplies and other things like that. So um, what a crazy time we're in. And we continue to be very prayerful uh, for this uh, pandemic that continues and the vaccine that we hope will bring some relief. Um, the political turmoil that we have faced throughout the last year plus and uh, um, hoping and praying that soon that will settle down as well. And uh, we know that um, God has a plan and that we are a part of that plan. And so we are grateful uh, for that and we are grateful for his presence with us. Uh, whatever happens in the world around us, we know that God has called us to be his people and to ultimately serve uh, one person only. And that person is Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace and the Lord of Lords. And today's lesson is taken right out of that thought in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through 20. Next week, we'll be talking about uh, the supremacy of the gospel and some other things that continue on in Colossians chapter 1. We've already introduced this study and looked at some things as Paul begins this great letter uh, to the church at Colossae near Ephesus and in the western part of modern-day Turkey in the first century. Uh, while Paul was uh, uh, incarcerated, basically, uh, we might call it under house arrest in Rome, as best we can tell, somewhere around 60 of the common era, um, after his uh, third mission journey and his arrest and then probably released, at least that's what he thought was going to happen, and historically that seems to be the case, then uh, some more preaching until arrested again and finally put to death by the Emperor Nero sometime around 67, 68 um, AD or the Common Era CE. So um, let's get into it in Colossians 1. He has uh, begun this great letter. He has talked to them. And uh, here we're going to uh, be reminded in this great passage that Christ is preeminent. Christ is supreme. He has the preeminence. He has the supremacy, and he is the only one that is worthy of our worship and our obedience. Uh, we've looked at a passage uh, and when we began this study um, in Colossians chapter 2, 
And um, and so I want us to begin there and then go to this great passage in chapter one, uh, Colossians two, verse uh, six. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Verse eight of Colossians two, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Just as in first century Colossae, uh, today there are others vying for our worship, uh, competing with Jesus for supremacy in our hearts and in our lives. Today we have um, those hollow and deceptive philosophies that he mentions that are seeking to take us captive, just as they were trying to take the first century Christians captive. Um, one person has said for much of America's history, the assumption was that if you were born in America, you would affiliate with the Christian faith. A nationwide survey by the Barna Group that does a lot of research on uh, Christian churches, churches that proclaim Jesus as Lord, uh, especially in the United States, but other places as well. Their study indicates that people's views have changed. That's no revelation to you, is it? The study discovered that half of all adults now contend that Christianity is just one of many options that Americans choose from. And so we live in a time of great diversity. We live in a time of supposed tolerance. And uh, we live with a call that says uh, Christianity is nice. Some people like it, but uh, it's not essential. It's not the one true belief. Uh, Jesus is not the only way. Uh, even though he said himself, um, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me in John 14, verse six. And so as we think about how Jesus measures up to these other philosophies, um, what is it about them um, that causes them to be described by the Apostle Paul as hollow and deceptive? When you think about the other choices that we have in our lives right now, uh, things that we can build our lives around, uh, what is it about those things that causes us to uh, consider them hollow and deceptive. Why is it that they're just not quite valid uh, when it comes to being something that you would choose to live your life by? And then the second part of that question is this, what makes Christ supreme and preeminent <clears throat> and worthy? Uh, what is it about Christ? And I think that's where our focus needs to be because there are some things that Paul brings up about Jesus Christ in this passage in Colossians 1 verses 15 through 20 that remind us why he is the supreme one. He is the preeminent one. He is the only one that is worthy of our worship. I think over these past few years, especially the last year or two, uh, and then perhaps even the last 10 to 20 years, uh, what we have seen in our country, in the United States, is a, um, a, a, a real test uh, of our faith, if you're a Christian, because there are things that were kind of assumed, I think, in years past and decades past um, that aren't assumed now, such as if you're going to go to church, which it assumes that you will, 
you will go to a church that honors Jesus Christ and at least proclaims that the Bible is God's word. That was kind of understood, not so much at all anymore. And we understand that. And I want to say, as we think about that, I want to say that just because that was the predominant cultural theme uh, in years and decades past, that doesn't mean that it was the what was true in people's hearts. And I think we forget that sometime. We think that because there was peace and because the church didn't have a lot of competition and and because most everybody respected uh, Christian faith, um, that everyone accepted Christian faith and and honored Jesus as Lord in their hearts. And, and that's just simply not true. It's just not true. And one of the things that is a blessing now is as something I saw recently that said, uh, there's no more such thing as cultural Christianity. Uh, you either are or you aren't. And if you are and it's legitimate, then you're going to have to pay a price for it. And if you're not willing to pay that price, then you'll shirk the whole thing uh, because it won't be worth it to just be a cultural Christian if that's all there is. Well, that's not completely bad. In fact, that was the situation in the first century. That was the situation for the Colossians. So let's read this great passage in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. If you promise not to run in the halls, I may try to let you out a little bit early today, maybe about 20 or 25 after, but eh, no promises. We'll see. Colossians 1, beginning at verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, verse 17, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Verse 19, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Whoa! What a great, great passage. Oh man, it is it is unbelievable in the way it proclaims the gospel. It is unbelievable in the way it proclaims the lordship of Jesus Christ, how it proclaims Jesus is savior, how he is the head of the church, how he is the creator and sustainer of the universe, how all things flow because of him. Well, let's break this passage down a little bit and kind of take it verse by verse with some of the major themes. Uh, first of all, Christ is the image of God. Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Uh, what a great, great statement. And he continues that statement as uh, verses 19 and uh, some passages in chapter 2 tell us, uh, because it talks about how God was pleased Colossians 1.19, to have all his fullness dwell in him. What a great, great statement. Very similar to a statement in chapter 2. In fact, it's right after the verses that we read earlier at the beginning of the lesson, verses 9 and 10 of Colossians 2. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. 
uh, all the fullness of the Godhead, uh, I believe some versions say. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and every authority. Hebrews chapter 1, in announcing that great book in the first few verses, talks about how Jesus died on the cross and then was raised and then ascended into heaven with the blood of the sacrifice, his own blood, uh, to the ultimate holy of holies, the very throne room of God, uh, to make that sacrifice for us. What a great, great statement that is. And we're reminded of one of the most powerful passages of Scripture, the prologue of John, the Gospel of John in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Just as Paul does in this passage, uh, John speaks of Jesus as present with the Father uh, and the Holy Spirit from eternity. Genesis 1.1 begins at creation. John 1.1 begins before that. It begins in eternity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was active in creation. And then, as you know, in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and lived for a while among us, and we beheld his glory. We saw his glory, this one coming from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, what a great, great statement. And Paul speaks of the greatness of Jesus Christ, how he is in the image of God, how he is the firstborn over all creation, not in the sense of the first one created. That is not correct. That is not what that term and that sentence is saying, but rather the supreme one, the one who has preeminence over all. And we, we see that in the verses that follow. And so verses, uh, verse 15, Christ is the image of God. Verses 16 and, six, and 17, Christ is the creator and the sustainer. Colossians 1, verse 16, for in him, Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, or some versions say by him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ is not only the creator, he is the sustainer. Everything was created by him. John 1 says the same thing. Everything that was created was created by and through and for Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, such a great and powerful, powerful uh, statement. Uh, Paul, as he talks to the, the men and women in Athens, uh, he talks to them about how it is in Christ that we live and breathe and have our very being. We, we live in him. We move in him. Everything that gives us life is seen from that one who is above all of creation, who is not a human at all, and certainly not an idol that humans make. That would mean that that God is actually inferior to its maker. Uh, no, God is creator. Jesus Christ is creator. And he is the one who is superior. He is the one who has the supremacy. And not just creator, but again, a sustainer as well. He is before all things, verse 18 says, or verse 17 says, and in him all things hold together. Christ is the image of God. Christ is the creator and sustainer. And then verse 18, Christ is the head of the church. 
uh, verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Again, that preeminence of resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead never to die again. And that's why he is the firstborn. He is the supreme one. And that's why Paul makes such a point of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. So much so that he says, look, if, if the resurrection isn't true, then we're just wasting our time here. Uh, we're really foolish because we're the biggest fools of all. But he says, oh, no, Jesus did die on that cross. He was buried. He was raised from the grave. The tomb is empty. And there are people who saw that, who are witnesses and who attest to that exact thing. Uh, Jesus, when he gives his great commission at the end of Matthew 28, he promises, I am with you always. All authority has been given to me. So I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that I've committed to you. And he says, I will be with you. You will not be alone in seeking to carry out this great commission. And that's why he created his body, the church. Jesus said in his own life while he was living, uh, in Matthew 16, when Peter makes that great confession that Jesus is the, the Messiah, the Lord, the Christ, the Son of God. Um, Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, based on that, that confession, that truth, that I am the Son of God, I will build my church. And the gates of hell or the gates of Hades, the gates of the grave, the gates of the enemy, uh, the gates of evil, they will not hold up against my church. Uh, it is such an important passage for us and for the Colossians too, as we see uh, difficult times uh, that we're going through and, and perhaps more difficult times ahead, even worse and, and harder times for those who profess faith in Christ. And some of that we bring on ourselves, um, but some of that is just a matter of, of the way our culture is turning. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I Am I going to be able to withstand that? Am I going to be part of that church, the body of Christ, of which he is head? There's only one head of the church, and it's not me. It's not any preacher. It's not any elder. It's not any bishop. It's not any pope. It's not any um, uh, faithful teacher or missionary or famous preacher. It is Jesus Christ. He is the one and only head of the church. The church is his body. It belongs to him. Upon this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church. There's no question about who is the head of the church. There's no question about who owns the church. Uh, Jesus says similar things to the Corinthians, but also to the Ephesians in chapter 1. And in chapter four, as he speaks about himself being the head of the church, his body uh, of which he is the savior. Uh, we see all of these great things. Jesus is creator. Jesus is sustainer. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the image of God. When you see Jesus, you see God. Everything that makes God God is contained in Jesus Christ. And that's where we get these last two verses. In Colossians 1, 19 and 20, Jesus Christ is 
the divine sacrifice. Even though he could have stayed in the throne room of the Father in heaven and never become human, certainly never become a servant or be nailed to a cross, he decided not to. He instead gave that up and became the divine sacrifice. Colossians 1 verses 19 and 20, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What a great, great statement that is. All the fullness of deity was contained in Jesus Christ. Everything that makes God, God was contained in Jesus Christ. He was the only one who, who accepted worship in this life. Peter never did. Angels even never did. We read in Revelation that they just wouldn't, they they told John, stand up. I'm just a messenger. Uh, it's the lamb that you are to worship. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, when they were on that first mission journey and people in Lystra wanted to make worship them and make them gods. And, and Paul, even later uh, in his uh, uh, trip to Rome, when uh, the shipwreck occurred and he was bitten by the viper and, and didn't die and everyone wanted to worship him, uh, they all said, no, no, no. But Jesus accepted that worship. And so the charges were uh, that he was blaspheming, that he was making himself out to be God. And if there, if Jesus was not God, then there, they were exactly right. That was blasphemy because Jesus didn't turn down that worship. In fact, he affirmed in his trials to the Jewish leaders that he was the Son of God, and that they would see that clearly displayed one day. Um, and they said, that's it. We don't need any more words. We don't need any more witnesses because he has, he has condemned himself. Um, and so this great statement that God is, that Jesus is uh, all the fullness of deity is, is then followed by just as great a statement, which says, and yet he is the savior. Yet he sacrificed himself. Um, in the words of the great passage in Philippians 2, he emptied himself. He took upon himself the form of a servant, a slave, and then he subjected himself even to death on the cross. Um, such a wonderful, wonderful statement. Paul tells the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Jesus not only is the head of the church, his body, he is the savior of the church, his body. You can't tell me that the church is not important. You'll never be able to convince me, Jesus I like, God I like, the church not important. Well, you have to reject scripture to accept that because scripture affirms in the clearest way possible that Christ is the head of the church, his body, that he is the savior of the church, his body. That sacrifice that he gave, he gave for those who would trust in him, those who would believe in him, uh, those who would give their lives to him and be his disciples, be his church. Um, that's what Romans says. Uh, that's what Hebrews says. That's what Ephesians says. That's what Colossians 1 says as well. Um, he is all God. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, just as 2 Corinthians 5 says, 
uh, our things in heaven, things on earth by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And that's another difference between Jesus and other so-called leaders or saviors. The way Jesus did it was by sacrificing himself. That sacrifice started when he came to this earth, period, first of all. Um, but yet it was seen in the greatest way when he gave his life on the cross. They taunted him. They challenged him. Hey, Mr. Big Shot, come down off the cross and we'll believe you. Could he have done it? He absolutely could have. Hey, Mr. Big Shot, call those legions of angels and have them come and deliver you and we'll believe you. Could he have done it? He sure could have. And yet, just as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, his whole desire was that the Father's will would be done. And the Father's will was not just that his son would live, but that you and I would live through him. And so he is the Savior. He is the divine sacrifice. Though other people and teachings make promises, the supremacy of Christ is based ultimately on this one great truth. It is only Jesus Christ who is Savior. And the good news of the gospel is the same great truth. Jesus saves. He is the image of God. He is the creator and sustainer. Uh, he is the head of the church, his body. And he is the divine sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the love of Christ. Seen in his coming, seen in his life of service, seen especially in his death on the cross for us. Thank you, Father. Oh, Lord, would you please bless our land today? Would you please bless those that we know that are struggling, those that have lost loved ones? Um, we pray for the Stifer family especially, as they have heard now that their son has, has, uh, has been found and uh, has died. And we just pray, Father, that you would fill them with your spirit that you would bless them and remind them of how very much they are loved, uh, not just by you, but by all of us as well. And Father, we pray for others who have lost loved ones, for others who are facing surgeries, for others who are facing very strong treatments for very deadly diseases, for those who are worried for them and praying for them. We pray, Father, that you would bless them. But Father, in this lesson today, we acknowledge Jesus Christ as King of Kings, and Lord of Lords, that he is divine, that he is the Son of God, that he is the image of God. We acknowledge today that he is creator and sustainer. We acknowledge today that he is the head of the church, his body. And we acknowledge today, Father, that he is the divine sacrifice. And we place our trust solely, solely in the person and in the blood and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray, amen.